0: next topic I wanted to discuss a bit was with regards to the idea of the EVO grid layers and I did kind of discuss this in the summary but I wanted to talk more I mean Gerald you've already, um, you've already thrown down your own position with regards to the idea of, of layered physics and simulation but I wanted to talk more with Jeffrey um, I mean, I first explained this idea to you on the call that wasn't recorded which regards the ideas of the layers of physics and uh, the way uh, the EVO grid would move through these layers. Have you had any any chance to kind of reflect on this, and do you want to add anything more to your thinking, Jeffrey? Uh,
1: no, I, I don't have any more thinking on it. Maybe you can remind me what we talked about. There's different layers that are, that are sounds like they're critical uh, for, for EVO grid to have... Uh, Many resolutions of of uh, of behavior correct, so this was an idea that was put forward um,
0: by a number of sources. I mean this is why um, ultimately, I wanted the kind of visions of the EvoGrid um, audio, so I can say you know reference people 's names here, but certainly the initial discussion came through Dick Gordon and possibly a couple of other people, Bruce talked to um, at a conference. With regards to the idea that the only way to do the Evo grid and this is the Evo grid is the idea of the origins of artificial life, basically starting with well um, artificial life chemistry building blocks and seeing if you can get uh, you know RNA chains from that this kind of movement it required there to be various layers of uh, simulation physics, so you start off with maybe even subatomic, maybe atomic level, moving into molecular, moving into, um, you know, and so it moves on. My concern with regards to this, um, which uh, Gerald has stated as well, is the idea that what artificial life algorithms do, and this came through um, the Eli Lilly fellow who was on Ed Salford, who was on last year on Biota Live, is that they're fundamentally search algorithms. So if you create any kind of even uh, artificial non-life, even pre-artificial life simulation algorithm, it is fundamentally going to search the simulation space and find the nearest neighbors in order to move from one physics layer to the next. So that's my first concern with regards to it. My second concern is the idea of novelty. That what you're actually trying to do in the Evo grid is distill some novelty associated with what the origins of life actually hold. And if you have these arbitrary physics layers that you've established that are, are defined in some way that move from, you know, atoms to molecules, molecules to what have you, and kind of go on in a progressive way, that the novelty that you may have at the atomic level that's required to create RNA or whatever it becomes in the EvoCred will be lost through these physics layers. that so they're actually kind of brutalizing points where the underlying novelty that's ultimately making the simulation, you know, you um, <laughs> worth continuing with uh, is being lost. Now, I think the ideas here have uh, basically been talked about to death and certainly listening to the ongoing audio that Bruce is sending me, my sense is really that um, the EVA needs to be distilled at least in a single simulation idea uh, and that is independent of the physics discussion. So really the physics discussion is associated with kind of 15 to 20 steps along the line Um, And in parallel to this, actually, I got my books from Australia and I had a lot of books that were uh, older, kind of plant chemistry, kind of 1920s, you know, um, chemical engineering, plant chemistry, uh, a lot of biochemistry. I mean, I had forgotten that I actually had these books and particularly the um, organic chemistry and plant chemistry from the early 20s. My first real job while I was going through high school and university was working at a physics institution with three elderly physicists in their 70s and 80s. And one of the physicists I worked with um, uh, had a brain tumor at the time and basically gave me his entire library associated with uh, physics, biochemistry. So I have a lot of old books that I'd completely forgotten about um, that are now uh, with me. And summing through these books really got, gave, got me thinking that what we need to do in terms of supporting Bruce from a simulation perspective is to give these kind of narratives and how we actually map these things onto simulation at the lowest possible level with the view that discussing these kind of abstract ideas in physics and layers and these kind of things is secondary to the work that, for example, Peter Newman is doing currently for Bruce um, in terms of taking actual uh, atomic and molecular simulations and running them with the view that they may be the basis for the original EVO grid. So Gerald, as you listen into this, I mean, does it make some sense in your in your current thinking associated with the EvoGrid?
2: I hope you'll uh, keep forgiving me for being uh, perhaps the only uh, vocal EvoGrid uh, skeptic. But uh, <laughs> there's um, there's a couple of things that that um, that sort of bother me about this scenario, and that is. Uh, I don't know one thing is uh, there's a tendency to talk about what is the, the evo grid well it is nothing you should talk about what it is to become perhaps and then uh, then you know whenever somebody talks about what the evo grid is I'm just sitting there going um, folks uh, it is nothing it is becoming something perhaps but it is nothing secondly um I'm uh, I'm also interested to have somebody bring on the geometry because uh, at some level there's going to be some geometry there's going to be interrelationships there's going to be things happening at that level and and you know the devil is in the details let let me uh, hear something about how you're going to deal with uh, the calculations involved with proximity and uh, you know how you're going to make things avoid uh, in in the geometry avoid you know overlapping each other there's a whole bunch of things that have to be resolved in some way or another and until i see these things uh, somewhat resolved i'm not willing to accept that the evil grid is anything until you know it can be becoming something you can summon it all you want but somebody's got to break the ground and, and actually you know uh, come up with some geometrical approaches
0: do you want to add something to that, Jeffrey?
1: Um, well, I, I I've been listening and thinking about the whole concept of bottom up, uh, which is very key in artificial life. I like to think of a a good artificial life simulation as one which starts at at some level of physics or or representation and and uh, uh, several things emerge from that, bringing it up to perhaps another another level of behavior, uh, which, which may be the beginning point of, of some other artificial life simulation. Um, but uh, br- bridging between these layers, like if you're talking about molecules, and then if you want to get to geometry, where, as Gerald said, you're looking at proximities and things, things of that sort, that's quite a large distance um, and I don't know if, if in this millennium we have computers or simulations that can do that, but maybe eventually we will. Um, I also think that um, while the goal, while it's ideally it would be great to have a, a, an artificial life simulation that that bridges all of these levels and, and where, where there's no nothing arbitrary, um, there might be some some interesting uh, kinds of models, and there probably are already if 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 um we wanted to look look into it um where there are mult- two or a few layers of uh physics perhaps where the emergent behavior of the lowest level informs the next level does that make any sense has there been any work of this is there any precedence in this do you know?
2: It was. This was the issue that we talked about quite a bit, Tom, wasn't it? Because uh, there was this discussion of, uh, you know, how you go from one level to the next, and uh, and <clears throat> yeah, my tendency is to think that there's going to be arbitrariness involved.
0: Certainly. Look, I'm just going to read what the chat room is typing because I think that's actually quite interesting, and then I'll give my my own view with regards to this. So, William R. Buckley, who. Uh, uh, Sake to the first biota, first a life conference rather. Is very sceptical of the EvoGrid as well and feels that it's really putting old wine in new bottles. We will have the benefit of talking to William um, next biota live, and I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to, to chat with regards to EvoGrid. Um, Eric Burton is saying that the EvoGrid is unbounded brilliance, and Gerald Young is lavishing his social capital on naysaying, uh, which I thought was a uh, you know worthy mentioning. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Dick Gordon is just testing things uh so anyway
1: uh,
0: how about guests signing in okay so the chat is is now going crazy i'll give you my summary I, i agree with everything that you've said gerald in fact my own experience with regards to the evo grid privately is listening to um lots and lots of audio from these conferences of people just riffing continuously about what the evo grid is um and as you say as something that actually exists and I think particularly as simulation authors, we are in a unique perspective to actually know what our own simulations are in a very intimate way. There are two parts to the Evo Grid that I see. The first is an, an ability, because Bruce Damer just attends these conferences and talks, uh, and in many regards, I think we can all agree, is a visionary of some, you know, some merit. Uh, and in doing this, he is bringing people into the conversation that I think can be brought into the biota community. So that's really the idea of visions of the EvoGrid is actually getting these people talking and the biota community to introduce them to the biota community. So I think the EvoGrid in that regard is something that's quite separate from this thing which may happen in the future. Mm. Having said that, um, in particular going through all these old books and in particular also starting a new job this week... I do get the sense that software, and we're all very intimate with this, is something that is very applied and very practical, and certainly through the private discussions that I've had with Bruce, um, Dick Gordon's been on them as well, also um, Peter Newman. The question I always put back to Bruce is, as the EvoGrid as a description expands, how much would it actually cost to make the EvoGrid? When Bruce originally started the EvoGrid, it was very much this idea of open source. So basically, we would have people like Adam Aramenko, um, you know, basically Graythum Boston, Graythum Silicon Valley, Graythum London, all, you know, actively contributing to the EvoGrid as a kind of open source collective. And it was very much this idea of bio Eve then. Now we have something which is completely different, which I actually think is, um, something which would cost um, millions of dollars to actually implement. I mean, I think the EVO Grid is something real, requires tens of programmers, it requires things which Bruce hasn't even imagined yet. So this is, in some regard, the real narrative associated with summoning the EVO Grid that what Bruce is actually doing is not talking about anything that is real currently. It is something which is sparking ideas in a broader community to bring them into the artificial life community. It's almost the, uh, the bait-and-switch method, fundamentally, uh, to get <laughs> folks such as Freeman Dyson and others into the artificial life community, uh, bio community, um, International Society of Artificial Life, all the groups that we've gathered together. So in this regard, the EvoGrid isn't ideal. The EvoGrid isn't something like Darwin at Home. It isn't something like gene pool. It isn't something like Noble Ape. It isn't something like Brevet. It isn't something real, currently. However, what it is in terms of uh, potential is getting these kind of thinkers and these kind of people actively involved in some kind of discussion, which I'm trying to bring into the biota community with the view that, you know, if Freeman Dyson was working with uh, you, Jeffrey, or you, Gerald, you would have a very different kind of simulation at the end of your interaction with Freeman Dyson. Mm. So I think there's some real benefit in the EVO grid, in the summoning the EVO grid idea as a means of bringing people into the community. And in this regard, this is why... I've maintained the kind of EvoGrid discussions in the podcasts because I think it's not about something that is real, it's about something that is potential, and it's something which is now almost completely removed from what we talk about in terms of
1: artificial life. I see the uh, EvoGrid as a meme, kind of, M-E-M-E. I think it's a meme. It's it's an idea that's rather catchy and it gets people talking. I, I think maybe that's what you're talking about, Tom. Uh, and perhaps it may turn into something and we don't quite know yet. I think the,
0: there is another there is another issue in the artificial life community that is associated with, um, with the idea of artificial life in industry, academia, but also moving the hobbyists back into something where they're actually getting paid to develop artificial life. And the EvoGrid is probably not a particularly good method to move to that point, but it is at least starting a discussion, I think, that will... Result in at least some discourse associated with how much does it cost to actually produce these kind of simulations. So in parallel to this, particularly with regards to um, the astrobiological community, I think there's a lot of potential in what Bruce is doing currently to bring uh, things like NASA funding and these kind of things into the artificial life community. So I think the functional purpose associated with the EVO grid is something which I've tried to kind of say uh, implicitly, but I'm now starting to say explicitly just to kind of bring people up to speed with why we constantly seem to be talking about this thing that isn't actually happening, as, as Gerald puts so wonderfully. Um, but the idea of the EvoGrid, as Jeffrey says, is the meme, um, is really what we're running with currently. And certainly in my own role as an advisor on the EvoGrid team, I've said to Bruce that he needs to move from talking about the EvoGrid as something that is real in, to this idea of summoning it in the future. I mean, Gerald, as I describe it this way, does this resonate with you at all?
2: Oh, absolutely, Tom. I thought that was the 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 best thing I ever heard about the Evo Grid was the the word summoning because uh, that, that's much more you know realistic. It, it's it's almost uh, it, it's sort of dangerous to use the wrong language in 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 on these things because. You have to be a little careful about the words you use. If you use the word is, you know you're 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 stepping on uh, thin ice. So make sure you uh, you use uh, becoming and use uh, summoning instead of you know talking about what it is because that's a mistake you can easily make when you've talked about something for long enough. You know you, you eventually talk about it as if it's there, but it really isn't quite yet.
0: You yeah, said so something that scares me actually when I listen to the private audio is that there is a. There is a, um, I mean, Bruce does this when he when he talks about it, particularly when he was at the Flint lab. Uh, I think the Flint people, and also when he's talking to Stuart Kaufman, you do get the underlying sense that there is a transition between future and present in, in Bruce's own talking, and certainly this is why I've um, emphasised the idea of summoning the Evo grid. Um, I, I, I mean, it's difficult to say what it will become, and certainly Bruce is completely independent, of you know my own thinking in, in in many ways with regards to this um but it's going to be a wild ride and i think the biotech community is kind of hanging on by the uh, <laughs> the boot strings and certainly as i hear all the audio coming back from bruce uh introducing some of these people into the broader um biotech community would would indeed be a very wonderful thing um and, and not to be sniffed at so uh, what more did I have to discuss? Um, I wanted to put out an idea. Um, I'm currently writing for H+, which is uh, a kind of online magazine. Um, i submitted an article to them. I'm writing another article currently. Uh, and it's to do with Freeman Dyson's challenge to global warming. And I thought this was a particularly good thing to talk about as we're talking about spheres. And also I know uh, Jeffrey in particular Uh, you know, your your background with regards to Gaia and all this kind of stuff um, is is important. So I wanted to put this to you in particular, and I think Gerald can kind of come along for the ride. But Freeman-Johnson's challenge associated with um, global warming is that we need to write better simulations. And as a simulation author, I see that as being relatively neutral in terms of it being for or against global warming. However, obviously... Uh the against folk kind of jumped on that as a means of saying, you know, of course, the simulations are horrible, we need to write better simulations. What interests me in that thinking is that, certainly my own background with regards to simulations, primarily physics simulations, but also some of the tinkering that I've done with Nobelate, indicates that when you write better simulations, they usually kind of move towards the results that you've already confirmed, And there's no notion with regards to what Freeman-Dyson is saying. I mean, I take take it the other way, that if we write better simulations, we'll probably see the circumstances are in a far worse situation than we we even view them currently. I don't think it's an ideological claim that better simulations need to be written. And so I started exploring this, going back through um, reading Freeman-Dyson and also others associated with this. And I think the idea that... um, Improving simulations and getting finer results actually moving away from this idea of um, uh, reversible um, uh, global warming, that there are things that we can do now to actually you know, reverse the situation, which I think is the, is the positivist line. If we move from that and if the simulations actually show that we are in an irreversible situation and things are in fact getting um, you know, considerably, uh, considerably worse, I'm seeing Dick Gordon here, Ah, uh, he's saying more. Anyway, that uh, you know, this is something where simulation authors can actually participate in a kind of philosophical uh, view. Uh, I mean, Jeffrey, this is something obviously that you think about quite a bit. Does that seem reasonable to you?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it, I think actually the, the real solution to, to climate change is, is to reduce the human population to about a fifth and to keep it that way. But that's not going to be easy. Um, simulations, I think, will help. Um, and I think uh, more people simulating stuff is, is great. I do, I'm not sure if simulations are neutral. And I think you brought up some interesting points. Uh, uh, what, what, what is a good simulation? It's, it's interesting making an artificial life simulation. I always have an idea in mind of what kind of cool stuff I would <coughs> like to see emerge from my simulation, which means that already I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. Uh, i'm not um, i I'm, I'm starting i'm doing a top down thing but at any rate um whether simulations can help i'm not sure, uh i guess it depends on what 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 he means by by that uh if he means making simulations to help us better understand um what what we're, what we're doing wrong <laughs> well i mean i I, I mean, I think we know what we're doing wrong. We're 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 putting carbon dioxide in the air, and we're polluting, and we're overpopulating. Um, well,
2: there's there, it, when you're talking about a grid of computers, we're talking about large numbers of computers running in parallel. I don't know if you guys have been looking into this, but uh, it's remarkable when you actually do the numbers and see how much of our uh, energy is being consumed by uh, by large numbers of computers. So, as far as I'm concerned, if you're making a a, a large, elaborate grid-based simulation, uh, you better be read- to. You better, yeah, you better be ready with your carbon credits because you've got to calculate out how much that is compared to taking a, a plane flight across uh, across the Atlantic or something. It's, these are significant amounts of energy, and the energy is largely being still created by coal. So if you build an EVO grid, you better already be ready to apologize and make sure that the, that the value of it uh, compensates for the fact that it's contributing to global warming. So let's be realistic about this.
1: Yes, think about how how your head gets hot when you think a lot. Yeah, you know, that's similar.
2: Well, Tom, you know as well. Uh, there's no better way to get a chip hot.
0: Oh yes, uh, we always return to the fact that I'm the greatest polluter of the artificial life community. But. Uh... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) moving from this slightly. I mean, I think the thing that i certainly writing this H-plus article, the thing that occurred to me is that um, for the folks against global warming, I mean, obviously there is a continuum. Um, The kind of shared group that I like to focus on, on on both sides, is all about developing uh, newer, cleaner technology. And there seems to be uh, folks on both sides that are saying that. Um, This is my um, fence-sitting, as Gerald has described in the past. But the thing that interests me with regards to we need to make better simulations is the um, discussion associated with you know what what actually happens in this elemental um, you know understanding of rain falling and warmth and these kind of things um, and certainly the the folks against uh, of on, on one extreme have a, a very you know if it doesn 't come from the hand of a human, then it must be something that is purely natural and I think simulation is so totally removed from that narrative it 's an interesting thing um, Jeffrey, that you use the term climate change um, because certainly following. Douglas Rushkoff, his, um, I think, uh, 2004 uh, documentary, The Persuaders, um, followed the origin of the term climate change. um, And it really versus global warming. Um, So it's interesting that um, folks that are uh, global warming advocates have adopted the term climate change. Um, Anyway, when the H Plus article comes out, you'll see my conclusions and also the related references associated with that. But it's certainly something that I'm enjoying. This idea of taking what we do with artificial life and moving it into a different domain, moving it into philosophy, moving it into popular culture, moving it into something that can be discussed. And the first article that I hope will be published in H Plus relates to my chapter in Dick Gordon's book, associated with um, metrics and intelligent systems, and you know where we can get those from in the real world. So, Jeffrey, I mean, in terms of the in terms of the next few months, for for folks who are fans of your work. Will there be any new releases?
1: Will there be any new software that folks can download? Oh, uh, I don't think I don't think anytime soon. Uh, I, I do have one one thing that I'm working on, which is uh, which I th- I think is I think might be kind of cool, but it's too early to talk about that. But um, yeah, I, 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 by the time I I, I go to the um, uh, it's in Australia, I think I'll have I think I'll have terrific. And, and in, ter- in terms of the plan to move stuff open source What's is, the, is that still
0: on the I know when you were on the non-recorded show you mentioned that you have a fellow who's currently doing a 3D version of um, uh, Darwin. Gene Paul
1: yeah well it's not open source but he's doing a 3D version um, so uh, so that, that should be pretty cool terrific and in terms of the open source
0: do you think do you think ACAL will be the, the launch point for the open source version I, I don't know Tom I'm not sure yet Okay. Well, if you need any assistance with that in terms of uh, moving things into open source, you have two very able bodies on the call currently, and I think a few in the chat room as well that would be willing to sign NDAs or do whatever is necessary to uh, to actually get your stuff out to as uh, you know as many interested folk as possible. And, Gerald, I mean, every time I talk to you, it seems to be constant changes with regards to Darwin at home. I notice you haven't recorded a podcast in a while. Are you you planning on updating folks via the podcast?
2: Oh, of course. It's just that uh, I'm still sort of in the mode where I'm uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, make use of as many opportunities as possible while the economy is still uh, supporting me. So, um, I will be getting more and more time as the year goes on uh, to work on the project, and I'm still doing things, uh, quite significant things, in, in the, the time I have in between, uh, in between work and everything else. And uh, I'm making significant progress, and it's really sort of coming together. It's just that I need some extended periods to work on, and I think I'll get that this summer. Amen. So, uh, I'm expecting. <laughs> I'm expecting. I'm expecting a release. Uh, of of some sort of demo by the fall, so uh, it's uh, it's exciting because I think there's I've been working for quite a long time. It's uh, this is some serious deferment of gratification. I've been uh, you know building chunks and really enjoying it, but I can't really put it out there and get much feedback. And and definitely you know the podcast has been lagging a little, but uh, there also hasn't been too much happening. I'm I'm pretty well ready to do another one now. <clears> throat> <And> throat> I imagine? I imagine that when, I'm get, when I start to get rolling again that I'll be probably putting them out more frequently when, uh, when things are really happening quickly.
0: I was hoping William really Al well Buckley would call in so he could give some introduction to what he would be talking about next Biota Live. But on June 5th, we will have the man himself. It'll be a wonderful opportunity to discuss a number of the things associated with the biota community and also his, his work up until now and also his views with regards to the EvoGrid and a number of other things. Jeffrey, Gerald, it's always a pleasure to have you both on Bios live. Um, And I think certainly, uh, Gerald, your feedback with regards to the EvoGrid will be listened to by Bruce and dissected, no doubt. Are you both active? I mean, you're both probably passive advisors to Bruce, but um, has he contacted you both about being active advisors?
2: I think he's got enough advisors by now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: 25 and counting. Well, thank you both uh, once again for participating, and thanks for the folks for listening in. This talk show version has been an unqualified success. The chat room is on fire. Uh, Folks are still typing. Thanks to Dick Gordon, William R. Buckley, uh, Eric Burton, and all the other people that have participated in the chat. Good chatting with you both. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tom.